Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Sean, do you need a uh, Axon Tire desk pad for your, uh, for your desk? You always, always know what I need before I know that I need it. It's amazing. I must be in sales. You know what I mean? You, right. you, you just, yeah, you, you have an intuitive sense of what the, your customer needs. It's ama- I'm really, hats yep. off to you. I'm I've, uh, if I could only use that that power for good, you know what I mean. It'd, it'd be things could go a long ways. Axon Tires giving away a free uh, desk pad, which is similar to the mouse pad that you got last time. But that desk pad will give you um, the same functionality as the mouse pad did with all the metric tire conversions and what have you, and all those things. But it's going to be big enough to fit on your whole desk, and it's like a giant mouse pad. So you, know, you have two little mouse pads and a giant mouse pad. And you can use that for all of your metric conversion needs. So if you want one of those, send an email to marketing at axontire.com, and Axon will send you a free desk pad. Uh, so make sure the Moving Iron Podcast, make sure you tell them the Moving Iron Podcast sent you. So go to marketing at axontire.com, and they will drop that to you in the mail. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. Sean is uh, with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing good, Casey. Really looking forward to the show today. Good deal, buddy. Well, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, I will say that since I started this podcast and started the market side of the podcast, I don't know that we've ever looked at each other and said, what are we going to talk about today? Because there's no no lack of news anywhere. So market's reaction um, has kind of been all over the place to Ms. Pelosi's uh, uh, Asian soiree, I guess is the best way to put it, and flying around to see what's happening, going all over, talking to Taiwan and whatever else and getting everybody fired up about that so there's there's that going on um we've got 
some good rains in some of the of the key growing corn belt areas of the United States. We still have some pretty intense heat out there as well going into um, soybean pollination. And I guess as you look at that kind of whole picture there, Sean, what are your thoughts? You know, we've continued to talk about how we thought April, um, uh, August here would be a bullish turning point for grains, and they're actually turning up markedly now. You know, we've, we're actually seeing the markets putting in lows and starting to really turn up. The market's starting to get their hands around the idea. The crop conditions last night were not very good. They, de they deteriorated quite a bit, despite the fact that the weather was uh, less threatening. Um, but I think they're coming to the realization that the crops are going to be okay, but not great. And that's not going to cut it to rebuild the ending stocks that have been depleted here for the last two years. And so I think that's the realization um, that we're almost sort of moving away from weather now. Casey, almost at here, getting here in the mid-August, and we're and we're just getting to the idea that we're just not going to have large enough crops. Uh, we have very very dry weather that we're going to have to plant the winter wheat crop here in September October, and we're going to have to worry uh, considerably about the upcoming, at least the first third of the growing season in South America, at a time that the U.S. once again has not been able to rebuild their ending stocks. And I think that's the message here. And I think that's why the grain markets are starting to turn up, and I think they'll continue to move higher here. Casey into the fall and maybe even into the fourth quarter, you know, before the El Nino weather pattern starts to kick in and we start to get a sense that South America is going to have those big, big crops that actually will put some of those global ending stocks back into the, um, you know, back into the bins and, and then the market will worry about an El Nino year for 2023 and that could mean big crops for the U.S. So I think, you know, that's where we're at. Um, as, as you know, the, the the more important low should occur next summer, but this is a I think this is a solid intermediate low. And so what we've been telling our customers, livestock producers, is you know get some of your cash feed needs taken care of into the end of the year, maybe a little bit into the first quarter. You know, don't don't eat a, a, a short term rally here. Um, and if you're a farmer, you know unless you absolutely positively have to sell, as you know we made our recommendation to sell back in May, uh, cash sale um, when prices were near their top. And we're telling them to hold off and wait for a better opportunity to, to cash sell their crops here as we get into a lot of part of the year. So I, so really nothing new that we've been talking about, but we're starting to see confirmation that the markets are beginning to react and act in the way that we've been suggesting. So. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so let's look at the crop progress report here just a little bit. It came out this morning, kind of just some highlights of, of what they had out there ending uh, for last week. And if you if you look at at where those where those are and it's not a big a big swing by any means so i mean i'm just i'm just kind of pointing some stuff out here but the good to excellent rating uh, on corn last week was 61% it's 58% now soybeans were 59% last week i'm sorry 60% last week and 59% so far this this last uh, during this report spring wheat um, is actually doing quite well i mean but it's only nine percent harvested so but you have 64 percent good to excellent um there but uh last week now you're looking at 70 winter wheat um is cruising right along they got 91 percent of that harvested so they're 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 doing good there and then then cotton when you look at it it's it was 31 or 38 last week and had a pretty good decline this week down to 31 so that's a seven percent drop so you've seen a, a pretty consistent pattern as as the year goes on and as you start looking at what this looks like how much of that is just you know usda didn't carry one somewhere and how much of that is is the stress from the heat and some of the the lack of moisture that we're seeing in some of these key growing areas well i mean it's look 
<clears throat> we were very clear that we didn't think <coughs> that this would be a major drought cycle year. And what I mean by major drought cycle, I mean, you know, a major crop problem. Sure. Um, and it's not going to be a major crop problem, but it's not going to be a great crop. We have not had enough rain. It's been very spotty. It's been very selective. We had some intent, even though the heat's backed off here in August, like we suggested it would, um, a lot of the damage has been done uh, in June and July when we had some excessive heat, and there's just not enough moisture coming in. So once again, the crop can get through. We started the growing season with better subsoil moisture than last year, so it's going to be okay, but you just aren't going to have a top-end trend line, above-trend line your crop with June, July being as hot as it was and with the moisture being as inconsistent as it was, and the right. crop conditions are beginning to reflect now they typically do fall at the end. You know, I mean, that's as you get closer to maturation, there is almost there's a natural degradation of uh, crop conditions, but they are falling more rapidly than you would expect them to see, and that's just a, a a consequence of the cumulative stress throughout the season, and pretty much telling you, you know, good but not great. And does that mean you know it means that the ending stocks are really not going to change much? Case, okay, so you know, the USDA is going to come out on Thursday with their latest uh, taxpayer dollar report. And, uh, you know, we don't know, ever know what they're going to say, but, uh, but ultimately, you know, we're not going to be re rebuilding any stocks of any concert. And, uh, you know, with the huge, huge correction we had going into late July, there's reason to put some weather premium back into these markets as we worry about South America going, you know, at least, at least for the first third of the growing season. And, you know, the demand's still there, you know, I mean, cattle still have to be fed, hogs still have to be fed, sure. so do chickens, and, and that's not going away. So. Yep. Okay. So speaking of being fed, you know, you got two more uh, ships left Ukrainian port um, on Tuesday. Uh, and this is from the Ukrainian, or sorry, from the Turkey Defense Minister. Um, it looks like you had one that was carrying 64,720 metric tons of corn, and then you had another one that was uh, 53 million metric tons of uh, was a sunflower meal for Turkey. The other one was going to South Korea. Um Slowly but surely, um, you know, they got a few more going out there. They had uh, Ukrainian ports uh, have four more ships that left Ukraine on Sunday. So just starting to see somewhat of a trickle leaving there. Um, the the key port, the key port that, that, uh, <laughs> that really would have been the one that could have got stuff out of there was Odessa. But, there, you know, there's four or five other little ports that kind of go through. But the major ports, Odessa, obviously it got, it got blown up shortly after the the agreement got signed. So I guess as you're looking at that, how, how do you think the market's reacting to this? Because it's not, I mean, the first time the first ship got out of there, it has a big reaction, but we're not really seeing that now. It's kind of more of a, hey, let's wait and see what happens, and, and if it does, it does. If it does, just, it doesn't. Just just remember, we, we traded at or below where it was before the Russian invasion here recently. Mm -hmm. So... We've taken the entire Russian invasion premium off. Off the top, yeah. That we put in. So it's over. We've traded the reality that something's going to get out of Ukraine. And I think the market's now moving on to what it always worries about. You know? Supply and demand, huh? Supply and demand. And, yep. and so the so only I can conceive of is that they might put some Ukraine premium back in at some point if this temporary... Um, flow of grain that's a goodwill effort were to falter mm -hmm. um, or they another bomb goes off or it's proved to, it's proving to be a fleeting uh, a fleeting uh, window of uh, of you know of friendship and uh, that sort of thing I 
I just don't, I think it's already, we, we more than already took that off. So I don't see that being a factor in the market. We're going to, now we're going to worry about what we always worry about the, the upcoming uh, planting season in the U S the upcoming right. planting season in Russia, what kind of weather they're going to have as before they go into dormancy, South American weather, all that stuff. I mean, I, I think we're back to a more conventional weather related supply demand market. Yes. We're going to have to watch currencies like we always do in geopolitics, but for the most part, it's, I don't see Ukraine grain leaving the station uh, impacting wheat market or grain markets at all anymore. I think it's already priced in. In fact, I think it's overly priced in at this point. I, I think that's just a non-issue at the moment. So, Okay. And that's, uh, that's kind of the feeling that I've got, too. You know, you look at all the news that you read. You, I mean, about, I don't know, 30 days ago, we were talking about this, and, and you, you brought up that you know, the Ukraine thing is not a situation anymore. You, when's the last time you saw anything on the news about it? And if I don't look at Twitter and the occasional, you know, newspapers that I that I follow, I get the occasional pop up about something that's happening in Ukraine. Um, it's hard to really find any good information about Ukraine anymore. So, you, I think you're right. I mean, we've we've factored that out, and even, yeah, all markets have factored that out, and and, and to some extent. At some point, you move on. That you could only trade a particular news item or story or event for so long, and it burns itself out. Every weather market burns itself out. Every geopolitical event burns itself out. Everything eventually runs out of gas, and you move on to a different driver. Right. And you know, maybe it's Taiwan is going to be the next. Maybe that's going to be the thing that now moves the markets consistently. That every time there's news about Taiwan, that's going to be the driver. Maybe that's going to be the focus of the market going forward. And you know, one the the the, the consensus is that Taiwan conflict or agitation is bearish because of the worry that there could be a halting or a cessation of U.S. exports to China during a period of conflict there. Um, and that may be true, but I would argue that if the Chinese are in fact going to go into Taiwan and create that agitation, I would think that they would first make sure they got their hands on every uh, grain Colonel, uh, uh, they could in the U.S. Yeah. and in South America first, and then go in. Yeah. So I, I think, from a time perspective, I actually think they may be buying grains like, like we've never seen before. If they're in fact ready to do that, they're going to say, "Look, Pelosi did it. We're done. We're going in." But we also have to feed a billion people. Plus, we you know we got to make sure that we have a, a you know. A year's supply on hand. I don't know what the number is, but you know. Right. So what we're going to do is we're going to buy everything we can from the U.S. We're going to hope South America is big because we're going to buy every single, you know, grain a bit supply we can from South America. And then when we got everything full to the top and we have a, our buffer stocks in place, we'll go into Taiwan. I don't believe they're in a position to do that right now. They can't do that right now because they would get cut off from supplies. And yeah. so I actually think it's bullish. And, that, and when you really look at what's happened, the market's been moving up ever since Pelosi's trip. Instead of going down, it's actually moving higher. And interesting, we follow the, uh, open interest in overall commodities uh, for capital flows. You have capital coming in sure. and capital going out. And what's interesting is when the invasion of Ukraine took place, we had a final spike in capital flows in, and then, the, and then capital started leaving the commodity markets in March. And we're totally just getting out, getting out. So the media was telling you how bullish it was. We we're going to starve to death, but the capital was leaving. And of course we had this big crash of commodities. Now 
We've seen a leveling off of open interest, and now that open interest is starting to turn up since Pelosi's meeting, now the money is starting to come back in, yet everyone in the media are telling you this is bearish. I always say don't listen to what people say. Watch what they're doing with their money. And the money is saying they feel this Taiwan situation, at least initially, might be a bullish trigger, not a bearish one. There's something to keep in the back of your mind that usually the market will do something very different than what everyone expects. Yeah. So. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So let's jump over and talk about cattle and hog surface a little bit as you're taking a look what's going on there. Um, look, I mean, you're seeing some, some good, steady, you know, I don't, upward projections isn't the right word, but it's just steady market, right? You know, I mean, there's some volatility in there, but it's nothing crazy to where someone's getting their head ripped off and there's these huge swings and stuff like that. I guess we'll talk about the proteins right now and see what, what's your opinion of, of what's happening right now. As you know, I mean, we've, we've consistently had an idea that we thought that livestock prices would be more friendly from the middle-late summer into the fall, even into the first, fourth quarter on a combination of the end of the herd liquidation cycle and with the idea that China would have to come back for larger supplies as they inevitably reopen those three or four or 500 million people that they've been locking down um, and get their economy going again and start printing a bunch of money and start spending a bunch of money, which they're already starting to do. Um, you know, it's extremely um, friendly to U.S. exports of pork and beef and chicken and that sort of thing over, and, and, and dairy, by the way, and milk as well. So I kind of feel that um, the market is starting to sense that, and, um, and we are starting to see some, some better prices for the livestock complex. Not milk yet. But certainly in cattle and certainly in hogs, that we've seen some better pricing. And I really think that trend's going to continue uh, into the fall. We don't have a lot of uh, ho you know, lean hogs in the country. We know this. We know that the herd, uh, uh, the cattle herd's been thinned out um, significantly over the last couple of years. And, and if we are going to retain animals to rebuild them, as I believe we're now going to do, boy, it's going to be a very, very tight situation. The, the packers are going to have to bid up for these animals to bring them in. And even if demand's softer for a little bit for beef, and you know, if this economy, you know, is, is showing some softer signals as it has been, I still think that's going to pale in comparison to the contraction of supply that's coming for the U.S. and the increase in demand that's coming from China for beef. So I think when you put it all together, sure, there can always be some setbacks along the way. We had a good run. Maybe we're due for a little bit of a short-term correction in the near term. But I think we're. I think prices are looking strong, you know, heading into the fall. Early, early fourth quarter, and then we'll have to take another look at it. So, yep. okay, all right. One last thing, I guess, as you take a look at at from from an, an economy standpoint, there's a lot of articles out there that said this time next year we're going to have all this inflation is going to go away. We're going to be, you know, we're going to go from six point whatever to, to three point whatever. And I guess as you're as you're looking at that, um, I mean, obviously, it's a supply issue that, that that's still driving this this inflationary thing we have. We got a ton of money out there floating around, and, and hardly anything to you know, just supply chain issues and stuff that we're still seeing. Break out your crystal ball here, Sean. But as you're looking at that, at that kind of what, what's that supply chain look like going into 23 and 24? What 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 are your just what's your opinion of that? I mean, I I kind of tend to agree with it a little bit. I have to believe that once supply chains get back and running, that we're going to see some of this inflationary issues come down. Either that or a recession is going to make that happen, one of the two things. But I guess as you're looking at it, I mean, you listen to guys like Rich Possa, and he's like, yeah, this is a short-term thing, and, and I'm not too worried about it. What are your thoughts well, look, 
you know, if inflation is not a it's not a linear sure. line. I mean, it, yep. it, it fluctuates. Yep. We've had a big upward fluctuation, so sure, we're gonna have a downside fluctuation. We're not gonna you know, we're gonna drop from ten percent maybe down to four or five percent. Um, but once commodity inflation gets going, which really drives the whole thing for the most part, um, it, it doesn't go away in a couple of years. I, you know, I, we went back and we looked at over 400 years of commodity and inflation. And when the commodity cycle, when the commodity inflation cycle gets started, it's, it's kind of a, at minimum a 10 and, and you know, as much as 15 year process, meaning you will have heightened inflation for 10 to 15 years. doesn't mean 10% every year, right. but heightened inflation. Remember, we were dealing with what one and a half to two yeah. percent inflation so so it, it, so maybe we go from ten percent to five percent but we stay at five percent or maybe we jump to seven percent but we're going to be at an elevated level of inflation for an extended period of time and the reason that this cycle has historically always been 10 to 15 years is because what drives the inflation cycle is a lack of investment a lack of investment in drilling for oil a lack mm-hmm. of investment in drilling for natural gas, a lack of investment in agricultural infrastructure, a lack of investment in agricultural technology. You know, we had 10 years between 2010 and 2020 where we were in a, arguably a depression for agriculture, give or take, and where nothing was being put to work, no money was being put into the sector. And, 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 and you could have said that for the commodities as well. You know, when, when oil went to minus $35 a barrel, you know, catastrophic for the industry. So, these are long investment cycles. When you start, when when ExxonMobil starts to put capital to work and it says today, we're going to try to find and and put some new money to capital work and and develop some new areas, this is is not a, you know, oh, we're going to start producing more oil in the next month. This is five, ten-year process that this starts to pay off. It takes typically at least ten years for investments made now to start paying off with increased supply. And that's how you get yourself the end of a, of a commodity inflation cycle. But remember, the first two to three years of a move higher in commodities after 10 years of depression, no one's really putting that much money to work yet. They're thinking about it now. Right. They're thinking about it. Yep. So, so, if, so if we go through three years and they're now just thinking about it, then it takes three years to actually deploy the capital. Right. And then it takes another three years for that capital to start delivering on the initial increases in supply, you start running the math, you're at 10 years. So mm-hmm. there is no way to put this genie back in the bottle at, at, absent a complete catastrophic economic depression. There's no way to put this, my opinion, this commodity inflation cycle genie in the bottle in just the first couple of years. It, there's nothing in history that says we've ever been able to do that, and I don't believe we're going to be able to do that now. But are we going to see a lower inflation rate over the next 12 months? Absolutely we are. No question about it. Um, that will be a relief to a lot of people. That'll be a relief to the Federal Reserve. It'll allow them to back off the pedal. It'll allow them maybe to, to you know, be a little more friendly with monetary policy. It might allow the dollar to come down a little bit, all these things, but it's not going to do away with the inflation. The inflation is going to come back and stay elevated. That's what, the way we see it. Just looking at commodities, um, there's other factors that go into inflation, Casey, it's not just commodities. Obviously, it's you know shipping and logistics and government policy. And there's a lot. There's other things that go into it. But the primary reason you have inflation or deflation is commodity lack of investment. And there's really no way to solve that in a couple of years that I'm aware of. Right. 
Yeah, good point. Good point. All right, Sean, that's a good stuff, good place to stop there. So folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. A lot of really good information on there about our weather cycle work, our capital flows work that we do, how we make our recommendations to see if what we bring to the table could be of value to your services and something we'll be obviously talking about in more detail um, with your summit that's rapidly approaching here. Right, what? Oh, that's almost here, huh? I guess I better get started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, that's a good point. Sean will be there talking about what's going on with the uh, overall commodity um, sector from his perspective and some of the driving factors he sees there, as well as some, some really good information. I mean, Sean talks about you know sun cycles and how those work, and you were talking about the, the Gleisberg cycle here not too long ago and what that looks like. And uh, if I never would have met Sean, I would have not known what the Gleisberg cycle was and an AMO and a PMO and all these different three-letter acronyms that have things to do with things. So, I mean, a lot of great information there that, that you can see how those, how these weather patterns are driving the marketplace, and, and, and Sean's dialed in that. So, Sean, talk about, go briefly kind of talk about what you're going to be hitting on there. In, in yeah, it's a completely different presentation that we've been putting out for the last couple of years because we're going through a pretty big shift. In fact, I'm going, I'm, I'm actually heading out on a flight here a little, in a little while going to, uh, to Indianapolis for a, for, uh, uh, a big fertilizer conference where I'm going to be actually uh, do my first presentation of this of this new concept, you know, that is we're entering. And and, and, and really, the, the pillars are El Nino coming, La Nina ending, what does it mean in the, in the short run and, and next year, the Gleisberg cycle coming thereafter, major, major, one in 100-year drought, what does it mean, how do you handle it? And I go over some other factors. I go over some long cycle, commodity cycle factors, some long currency factors, talk a little about cryptocurrency, how it that, I mean, cryptocurrency has attracted trillions of dollars of capital and is now a, a, a foundational uh, part of how markets are trading. We go over what we think is going on with that. A lot of different things that go over, you know, how commodities get priced, why we have these bullish cycles, how long they last, and, and, what, and where we think we are and how all this uh, climate fits in and where we think agriculture is going to be going and how producers, end users, elevators, Equipment manufacturers, how everyone should be thinking about how to manage this volatility in price risk going forward so that you can kind of get yourself on a good path. Because we always say you always have more prosperous times in agriculture if you have price volatility. The 70s was very prosperous. The 2000s was very prosperous. The first couple of years of the 2000s has been very prosperous. When price volatility is low is when you have very difficult times for anyone in the business to to, um, uh, you know, to make consistent good money in the industry. And so the, the whole concept is, though, that you have to be proactive. You have to be proactive. It's a time that you have to be making decisions, making moves, making decisions well in advance of what's coming so you don't get run over by markets that surprise you, um, like many got surprised with what happened from between 2020 and 2022. Many people were not ready for that and got run over. Our job is to make sure they don't get surprised by what's about to come up in the next two threes, which we think is going to be even more volatile than what we just saw. So lots of real, it's a brand new, fresh presentation. So anyone that has watched me or seen me at your, at your summits the last couple of years will be, uh, uh, will be, I think it'll be very refreshing and something very, very different. So right on a whole new set of problems, Sean, how boy, <laughs> way to go. <laughs> hey, 
I, I can't control what's coming. I can only I can only try to tell you what I believe is going to take place. It's up to us to be proactive, but better to know what's coming than not. That's right. That's a good point. Good point. All right, Sean. Folks, want to reach out to you one more time? What's the best way to do that? Hackettadvisors.com is our website. Sample reports, white papers, podcasts, video uh, interviews. Everything's on there to see if uh, what we do might be of value. Right on, man. So check that out. Sean's got a lot of the information on that website. Check that out. And if you go to YouTube, there's a lot of videos of Sean talking about different stuff, too. So check that out as well. So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, at Moving Iron Podcast on YouTube, or not, well, on YouTube, Moving Iron Podcast channel. Yeah, on YouTube. Check that out. Also on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. So if you want to come to the Moving Iron Summit, um, I've got about... 15 spots available so if you're interested in doing that you want to be you want to be the 15th caller uh and jump in there i'll, I'll get you i'll get you on I'll get you on the list there but i got about 15 spots left so if you're interested come and check that out go to movingironllc.com upper left hand corner upper right hand corner sorry click on the moving iron summit tab the agenda and all the uh hotel registration information is there so uh check that out so this is uh this is the biggest crowd I've ever had come. Um, right now, we're sitting at about 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 fifty dealers that are going to be there. We got about a hundred people coming in, and we got some great sponsors going to be there as well. Great speakers like Sean are going to be there. So, if you're interested in doing that, like I said, I got about fifteen spots left. So, uh, check that out. Um, so, I think you'll have a good time when you come. Great networking opportunity for any anyone in the equipment business. So, check that out. So, with that, I'm Casey Seymour. Um, now, one more thing. Alex Chuchenko is coming back home. He's uh, on his way back from Ukraine, and uh, he's going to take a breather, and he's going to go back. So if you're helping out, want to help Alex still, uh, he still needs all the help he can get, uh, you can go to the show notes, and you'll see a GoFundMe link. Check that out, or you can just go to GoFundMe.com and look up Help Alex Transport Humanitarian Aid from Poland to Ukraine, and uh, you can donate there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving on